Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, June 20th, 2008. This week we've got episode 86 coming to you from beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Always a pleasure, Joe. Good day, Cliff. And the wingman, Chris Boisel at the controls. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. I think our technical director is playing tennis today, but he should be here any time now. Today's segments will include the microband trivia question. We've got Mr. Andy Robinson, the restoration products manager from John Don, and the roundtable where we bring every... Oh, and I've almost left out. Mr. Glenn Fellman's here with us as well for an IE Connections What's News. Then we'll come back to Andy for a bit, bring everybody back together for the roundtable at the end of the show. Visit the iaqradio.com website, check out our blog. We're making changes every week. And let's thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. All right. To contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. All you have to do now is press 1, and you can join the show. You can listen live, or you can download shows at a later date, and those can be found at the www.iaqradio.com website. We appreciate suggestions and answer questions. Take requests. You can email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com or cliff at cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. We also have IAQ Council renewal credits available by emailing me and requesting a quiz. And I think, Cliff, we've got another, uh, we're working on one. Are we ready to announce that? Oh, sure we can. IAQ Radio is pleased to announce to our listeners that our broadcasts have recently been approved for IACRC continuing education credits. Listeners can obtain either a half-day credit in either cleaning and restoration or mold remediation categories by listening to a specific four-hour session of the show and answering the quiz. Or they can obtain a full day of training for listening to eight-hour session of archived broadcasts and answering the quiz. Contact us for pricing and further details. Excellent. You, so you 30,000 or so IICRC registrants out there, let us know. We'll get you your renewal credits. Well, the, the, key, the key, I think the most exciting thing about it, Joe, is we have the uh, approvals for the mold remediation. Uh, and very few course providers have that. So it's a very unique distinction, and we're pretty proud of it. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to send it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks. Congratulations go out to Dan Reed and to Matt Fredrickson for answering two of the previous trivia questions. I'll give you, I'll give you the answers. Uh, Dan's correct answer was a SUMA canister, and that's used for sampling indoor environments. And this medical condition that we were looking for that's related to allergy, the correct answer to that was anaphylaxis. 
Okay, the microband trivia question for Friday, June 20th, 2008. Today we have a two-part trivia question. The first listener to answer both parts correctly will win the great prize. Part one, what is the derivation of the word hurricane? What is the derivation of the word hurricane? And part two, in the U.S. we've gotten into the habit of naming hurricanes. What was the first hurricane name? What was the first hurricane name? Okay, how about some intro music for our guest today, Chris? All right, our guest this afternoon is Andy Robinson, John Don Restoration Products Manager. Andy started his career in the cleaning and restoration industry with John Don back in March of 1994. Andy developed a strong understanding in the carpet and janitorial industry before moving into the restoration sales department in 1996. In 96, Andy was named John Don's Restoration Products Manager with responsibilities for overseeing all restoration aspects of John Don's 10 locations nationwide. Andy has been on location for several hurricanes and floods throughout the years. Andy spearheaded John Don's efforts in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina, uh, helped set up their temporary office in Kiln, Mississippi to assist restoration contractors with their equipment and supply needs. Andy holds all restoration carpet and upholstery certifications through the IICRC. Andy has had his ASD Advanced Structural Drawing Certificate, has a Vortex Drawing C Certificate, has a Mold Remediation Certificate, and has attended many of RIA educational programs, including the inaugural Water Loss Class. Okay, Andy, if you can lay some background for us, what actually is a hurricane? Cliff, good morning. Um, by definition, a hurricane is a tropical storm with winds that have reached a constant speed of 74 miles per hour or more. Uh, usually the eye of the storm is usually 20 to 30 miles wide and may extend to over 400 miles. The dangers of a storm include torrential rains, high winds, heavy storm surges, Usually a hurricane can last for two weeks or more over open water and can run a path across the entire eastern seaboard by definition, Cliff. Thank you. Uh, how's hurricane damage different from catastrophic flooding, Andy? Um, you know, I think one of the things that we see different with uh, hurricanes is the flooding results in a you know, high surge that comes in. We often are going to get a lot of standing water, uh, heavy ground saturation. Um, traditionally, hurricane winds are, will create a horizontal-driven rain, and the problem with that is it drives a lot of moisture into the exterior building envelope. Uh, the moisture intrusion is usually common around the windows, doors. We see it in flashings. Often may come through exhaust vents. So it's a lot more powerful um, with, again, horizontal-driven rain. Could I get you to go on uh, the record with an opinion? Do you think Mother Nature is stronger than uh, Dow caulking? Um, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. No doubt. Okay, Joe. All right, Andy. I, I wanted to um, ask a little bit. I'm not a big hurricane guy or flood damage. I've done some a little bit, but uh, I'm curious about the diagnostics tools used by the guy. I guess you have to go out and inspect and, and estimate on these projects for both times, you know, both types of damage. What are the main tools used? Uh, predominantly, what we're going to see contractors using is a variety of different uh, meters. Uh, most common, of course, is going to be your thermal hygrometers, which is going to give you a gauge of your temperature, your humidity, potentially dew point, grains per pound of moisture, or your specific humidity. Uh, other tools frequently used are going to be your penetrating, pin-type meters, non-invasive moisture meters, um, slide hammers if we need to determine the extent of moisture that may be in subfloors or wood materials. Often in hurricanes, uh, another unique tool that we see is the use of infrared cameras, though. And uh, what's unique to those is it allows us to get a perspective, usually above like a high watermark line that we see. Uh, what I like about the infrared is it also allows uh, contractors to scope high roofs and high ceilings, especially if you're in a commercial application, without really needing a scissor lift to go in and get in an early, to get an early detection of where moisture may be. Now, 
what type of preparation would you recommend for anybody or firms, let's say, considering catastrophic type restoration work? Um, you know, I think pre-planning is essential to getting involved in uh, any type of catastrophe response work. Uh, best example of uh, you know pre-planning for this work is to try to arrange some pre-contracts with uh, your potential clients uh, before the disaster actually happens. Um, inclusion with uh, within contingency plans. So have your contract in place prior to going into uh, the event and have a contingency plan of where you're going. You know, would you agree that the levels of contamination in the water would be greater in a flood than in a hurricane, you think? Um, I think it's actually heightened uh, a lot of times in hurricanes. What protective equipment would you recommend for, you know, people working in these environments and even homeowners who are going to, you know, do their own cleanup? Um, I, I think comfort is super important, Cliff. Uh, the more comfortable, the better, you know, without sacrificing the appropriate level of protection. Uh, OSHA does mandate proper employee protection, uh, but not overprotection. Uh, one of the big things we see is uh, heat stress. You know, there's over 4,000 fatalities that uh, annually happen due to heat stress. Um, you know, as far as protection, we recommend a good breathable coverall. Um, you know, if the job warrants something a little bit thicker, you may consider something like a Tyvek, but I like, you know, breathable coveralls, especially when we're dealing with uh, high temperature. Um, I think, you know, P100 disposable dust masks uh, are, are very good, especially for like a homeowner that may be taking a job on their own or even, you know, large crews that are doing the catastrophe work. I think that they're a little bit more comfortable than, per se, half-faced respirators. Um, you know, if we are dealing with unique situations, PAPR systems, uh, PAPR-type respirators are really the best for uh, comfort and safety, providing, you know, air right into the mask as a pressurized um, process. I think, again, when we look at uh, safety, we also need to make sure that, you know, we're getting enough fluids into the body. Um, it's very important to drink lots of water. You know, if you have Gatorade, salt tablets, um, those are all beneficial things to avoid heat stress uh, that, that, that may transpire, you know, in these severe environments, Cliff. I, I want to follow up on the um, filtering face piece, the P100s. I'm glad you mentioned that, Andy. I, I like those types of respirators, and I don't know that a lot of listeners or, or people in the industry are even aware they exist. It's a filtering face piece. Um, it's similar to a dust mask, but it is definitely much more comfortable. I didn't realize um, that. Do you sell those type that type of equipment? Yeah, we do. Uh, we carry a variety of different uh, disposable dust. I'm sorry, excuse me, disposable dust masks. Everything from P100 to N95, a variety of different efficiency levels. Um, certainly, again, for that type of work, though. We want to make sure that we have a, a little bit higher level of protection, you know, with P100, which is uh, a terminology equivalent to HEPA filtration. Excellent. Thank you. Do you have any recommendations for people that have never worked in these environments before? Uh, they're probably going to need to get some temporary help. Uh, how would they train these workers? Um, it, it's important that, you know, safety be at the forefront of any job that you go on to. Uh, it is required that all of the workers you bring in, you know, be trained in the safety aspects. Um, I think what we need to look at, Cliff, is what are the risks that these temporary workers may be facing? You need to identify those. I think with a labor pool, you try to divide the labor pool up. Um, I think you try to uh, train workers um, on what they may experience on the job. Um, I don't think that you can train your entire labor pool if it's temporary on all the hazards that you may see on the job. So let's look at the specific things that they may come across, you know, make sure they have an understanding of that. And most importantly, let's make sure that we have close supervision uh, right. of those temporary people, you know, having a supervisor that may be working with a crew of, you know, 10 or 12 people that is kind of overseeing the hazards that uh, may be encountered on that job. I just want uh want to go back for one second, Andy. Uh, you mentioned a PAPR, and some people may not be familiar with that terminology. That's powered air purifying powered respirator. Air, yeah, okay. powered air purifying respirator. P-A-P-R, PAPR. There's a couple different ways people pronounce that. I, you know, I've always heard people say that, or, or I've not always, but I've sometimes heard people say that working in these disaster areas is a, an exciting and lucrative kind of uh, position to be in. Is that necessarily true? 
Uh, I think there's two sides to it. Um, I think it can be very lucrative for the people that are well-prepared and well-connected, meaning they're going in, they have work that's already pre-established. Um, more, more often than not, you know, the work is uh, somewhat boring, menial. It, it's very hard work. Uh, you know, we don't take uh, these situations lightly. It's ex- extremely difficult work. It's sometimes a thankless and uncomfortable job also because of the environment that we're working in. Yeah, it's it's really um, interesting that we had you know we took last week off and we had you scheduled for this week and in the interim we had this terrible flooding in in the Midwest and uh, correct this was excellent timing to have you on the show and one of the things um, that always strikes me during these disasters is the the problem that restoration contractors will probably face with respect to utilities. Can you tell us a sure. little bit about how to handle that? Um, you know, again, I think everything goes back to pre-planning. You know, we keep hearing this as a common thread. You know, there are going to be utility uh, issues that are going to be faced as you move into any area, whether it's the Midwest flooding or a hurricane. Uh, it's the basic necessities. You know, are you going to be able to obtain food, water? Is there lodging available? Have you tried to secure your lodging in advance before you pack up your truck and 100 people and move into, you know, a catastrophic area? Um, electricity is usually a key issue also. It may be unavailable, um, so you're going to have to think of, you know, temporary power sources. And a lot of these, you know, basic necessities often may lag behind your arrival there. So it's things that you really need to be thinking out, thinking about, I should say, prior to getting into the mix. What happens with pricing, Andy, in these situations? I'm sure your customers are looking to you uh, for some sort of guidance. You know, can they buy a book or a computer program that's going to have the right pricing to use in these catastrophe situations? Um, you know, there are certainly a variety of different you know, manuals out there. Um, Xactimate, of course, is an estimating system. There is the Blue Book, which gives you some general pricing guides. Uh, you know, as far as pricing recommendations, um, I think, you know, these type of events, when we, we talk about hurricanes, ends up being a supply and demand economy. Um, you know, local resources can often be overwhelmed. Uh, sometimes we have to bring in foreign or outside firms to begin to work. Um, the prices increase when, again, you're bringing in uh, outside uh, firms. Um, you know, an example, you may take tree removal in a hurricane area. The going rate before a disaster, you know, let's say it's $500 to remove a tree. You know, now that we're dealing with the situation, you can't find locals to do it. You may not even be able to find people from the region to do it. So you have to rely on outside sources. And often that may mean uh, a higher cost due to additional operating costs. Um, so we do see pricing sometimes that goes beyond what you often find in the local market because of a lack of resources. What about material shortages? You know, in, in hurricanes, uh, plywood might be an issue, for instance. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I can talk firsthand uh, coming off of Katrina. Uh, there were definitely material shortages that transpired with such a widespread area of disaster. You know, your lumber yards were all out of commission. Um, plywood, tarps, any type of board up, uh, external repairs that are going to be needed done, that will need to be done to the building, um, those supplies are going to be very difficult. I, I would highly recommend that, you know, again, if you're moving into an area, trying to secure those materials and bring them with you if you can do that. Um, you can't rely on, again, the local markets to be able to provide you uh, the materials um, that we often get at a moment's notice through the depots or other uh, places. I would imagine right now people are kind of asking themselves that are, you know that it's been a little tough in the water damage business, and um, yeah. they're probably asking themselves right now, should I, you know, should I pack up a truck with equipment and uh, materials and and head on out? What, you know, what do you recommend that people kind of? How do they go through the process of determining whether they should stay in place or try and go help out on these situations? Right. Uh, That's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, again, everything goes back to contingency plan again. I think what the contractor needs to determine is what are you leaving behind? I mean, what is going to happen to your business at home if you pack up 90% of your crew and you're on the road to Hurricane Alley or Midwest floods? um, What happens if your your day-to-day client cannot get in touch with you? What it's going to lend to is your competition maybe picking up some of your business. So you need to you know, certainly weigh out the risk versus reward of traveling into an area and what you may be leaving behind. It's definitely a gamble to get into this business. 
uh, for fear of, again, losing something back home. Andy, can you comment from your experience on the people factor? You know, uh, what is what do these events bring out in people? Uh, <laughs> I think you see, you know, kind of uh, the good, bad, and ugly. Uh, disaster definitely brings out uh, both the best in people. You know, a lot of Americans are the most charitable people in the world. You know, we volunteer, we donate, we have our own charities that we like. Uh, then there is definitely the bad and the ugly side, the opportunity opportunistics. And again, excuse my uh, terminology, that word may not be right. But there is a lot of bad out there. You see, you know, um, fly-by-night companies that come in that may tell you they're going to do something and they don't deliver on what their promises is, promises are. So you need to be awfully cautious. You are going to see all walks of life getting into these types of um, circumstances. What would you recommend for the the people? Let's Let's use this example. We've got it right in front of us. There's been this terrible flooding. If you're a homeowner or a business owner and you're looking for some help, you know, what types of things do you look for in the company that you hire? Um, you know, certainly I think you're going to try to find an experienced firm. Um, you want somebody maybe that's, you know, in a local market, you know, versus potentially somebody that may be traveling out of state. I would look at credentials. I mean, if you're surfing the, the net and you're a homeowner looking for a, a contractor, um, call on their credentials. Call your local insurance agent. Were they recommended or did they bring somebody in from the outside? Um, you may even want to consider, you know, using resources like the IICRC to find firms that are certified in areas of water damage restoration, mold remediation in the event that uh, you have a fungal problem. So th there are ways that the uh, homeowner can look into making sure that they have a qualified contractor. Definitely look at the designations and the certifications that the company has and, and, and have an understanding of what their references are. You know, Andy, is the largest uh, supplier of disaster restoration equipment, you know, in the field, you have customers of a variety of sizes, from little guys, medium guys, large guys. What I'd like to ask you is on the, you know, medium to smaller companies, those that you know that have worked, done cat work previously, are they doing it now or will they do it again? Um, I think it's a mixed bag on that cliff. I think that there are some companies, the smaller companies that have gone into the area and were able to be successful using their networking um, skills and, you know, again, working with local contractors in the area. I think you can say that there are definitely a group of contractors that had a tremendously positive experience, and I can attest to contractors that, you know, may not have had such a good experience. They went down there. Um, they didn't have work lined up. They ended up driving around for days on end. You know, they couldn't find any commercial work. I think, you know, one of the things that you're going to see in these uh, circumstances is the big jobs, the commercial work is usually already lined up. Uh, they have preparedness plans on that. So you end up often getting kind of the leftover work, and you need to be somewhat cautious of that. Are you going to get paid on those jobs? So, again, it's a mixed bag, I think, of uh, the contractors that, you know, we've worked with, uh, both of medium and small scale, that would say, yes, I would go back. Um, some definitely wouldn't go back. So um, you really got to understand what the circumstances are. Andy, can can you comment on the the mindset of the people i mean i that are going through this right now and you know what what they're going through and how they respond uh when you say the mindset of the people are you referring on the, the um, homeowner side business owners homeowners yes um you know i think what happens is uh the customer feels blessed and thankful of the services that can be provided during their time of need uh, they may hate you by the uh, by the end of the job when the bill is due and it needs to be paid. Uh, you know, it's natural for them to be angry, frustrated after being run through the gears of government, insurance company bureaucracies. They likely won't be financed wholly after the disaster. Uh, they may feel that you should share in some of the losses that uh, may have occurred. You know, I use the terminology uh, quite frequently. Um, you know, when we arrive to the job as a restoration contractor, we are the knight in shining armor when we arrive to that job. doesn't matter what the costs are. You're there. You're pumping water. You're, you're making things happen. You're the best guy on the block. And by the end of the job, often we see that that knight in shining armor ends up becoming the goat. They get at the bill. They say, you know, I could have done that on my own for that charge. 
So, again, you see a paradigm of what happens from the time you get there till the end of the job. So there's definitely uh, some different mindsets of the uh, person who's been affected. You know, as a follow-up question to, to Joe's, Andy, what about collections? What, about, you know, what, what are you seeing about collecting the money that's due for the work that's done? Great question. Um, insurance policies and claim settlements are very inconsistent, you know, in this type of work. Uh, money you know, can arrive late. Uh, it may arrive in, in parts, and sometimes the money doesn't arrive at all. Uh, you're like, you know, it's likely that you will not collect all the money that you're owed. Um, one of the things you need to understand is you need to know who you're working for and who is going to be paying your bill before you, per, before you put that, you know, hose into the water. It's imperative to understand that, you know, before the job starts. Just because you have a signed work authorization, you want to make sure there's full coverage and that you're getting paid. Okay. One more on the business side, and then we're going to take yep. a, a break, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll get into some uh, more specifics on the remedial strategies. Um, I've got a question on, like, business strategies as far as, you know, what type of business strategy people who are looking to get into this area would, would really be most, I don't know, best off employing? Hello. Hello. Okay, I thought. I'm I sorry. I, I lost you there for a minute. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just curious. What you know? Who are the most successful contractors going in doing this type of work? What are their business strategies? How do they advertise right. their services? How do they? You know, how those types of things. You know, I think you got to go in. You got to do estimates. You know, damage appraisals will be needed to collect the money from the insurance. Um, the proceeds, uh, you know, are from government programs. I think one of the things you can look at is offering a fee-based. Uh, damaged appraisal service. Uh, you have the opportunity to kind of cherry pick your jobs that way, and you, what you'll find is you can quickly develop some boilerplate terminology and specifications of what's hot and what's not, and you know where where the work may come. Let me let me get this straight now. So, people need these um, appraisals essentially, and so yes. you would charge a, a fee, which you know Absolutely. would make sense. Okay, right. Uh, what what type of fee are you looking at? I guess on a residential, a typical residential. Just curious. You know, you may uh, you may go in and have a fee of anywhere between two hundred and fifty dollars and five hundred dollars for a contractor to go in and scope the work. I think what you'll see is uh, you'll find out who's serious about having the work performed. If somebody's not willing to dish out two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars for an inspection to move forward and get their residence um, back on track. Chances are they're tire kickers, and you probably wouldn't want to sign that job anyway. So, again, you can use those uh, estimates as a boilerplate to see who's serious and who's not. You know, I think some restoration contractors might charge 2% of the amount sure. of estimate that they run. Others might have an hourly rate. I guess it really depends how sophisticated this is, but it's an extremely valuable tool for someone that's had a claim uh, to have a third-party independent person uh, put everything together in the right, uh, you know, in the right format so that insurance mm -hmm. companies and the government can deal with it. You know, the last thing an adjuster wants is a list and you, you have two cans of Campbell's soup and then you got a pair of ladies' underwear and, you know, the basketball <laughs> and the two t tires and, you know, you need someone that can put all that uh, together. Do you right. want a break now? Let's take a quick break, and okay. we're going to, uh, first of all, we want to thank our sponsors again, uh, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Okay, speaking of sponsors, we've got one coming up here with our IE Connections What's News segment. Chris, we have our intro. Leave. 
right, our leader of men and women, Glenn Feldman. Do we have you on the line? I'm here, Joe. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I hear you have some pretty interesting tidbits today. Let's get right to them. I got some great stories for you today. First one comes uh, right out of Capitol Hill. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to spend more than $20 billion, that's with a B, over the next five years to help states build and renovate schools to make them more energy efficient and environmentally friendly, including efforts to improve the school's indoor air quality. President Bush, however, has threatened to veto the bill. The measure is known as the 21st Century Green High Performance Building Act. Its number is H.R. 3021, and it's intended to save school districts billions in energy costs while reducing asthma and other environmentally linked health problems. It passed uh, 250 to 164 in the House and now has to be considered by the Senate. Indoor Environment Connections went out, and we contacted the presumptive presidential nominees of the major parties, uh, Barack Obama, of course, and John McCain, to get their position on the legislation. Because if this Bush, is, uh, if Bush does veto this bill, it's very likely to be offered up again next year, according to its backers. Now, a spokesman for the Obama campaign said that the Illinois Democrat has endorsed the measure, plans to vote for it in the Senate, and will sign it if he becomes president next year. The McCain campaign told us that the Arizona Republican supports the principles behind the bill, but is, and I quote, not convinced that a new federal spending program is the best way to achieve this goal. The legislation contains uh, $6.4 billion for the 2009 budget year and similar sums in subsequent years to help school districts modernize facilities, improve their learning climate, promote student and teacher health, and make schools more energy efficient. Uh, congressional Republicans really do see this bill as a federal intrusion into education matters that are best left under the jurisdiction of states and local governments. But the legislation has some attractive components as well. Um, it's sponsored by Representative Ben Chandler, who is a Democrat from Kentucky, and it would approve federal funding of, of $100 million a year for five years for public schools in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama that were damaged from uh, Katrina and Rita. This is a, a federal initiative that, uh, if it dies at the at the pen of the president uh, before November, it's going to come out next year. And if uh, there's a Democrat in the White House, I think this is the kind of legislation that our, our industry is going to see coming out left and right. So it's going to be very interesting times ahead. And we've talked about it a lot on this show of what the, what a Democrat in the White House or a Democratic congress could mean in terms of funding for indoor environmental programs cool. okay glenn you're a little little low i don't know if you can turn up the phone or maybe get a little uh, closer there you go that's much better all right very good next story we got here um setting the standards in fire damage repair uh an announcement's been uh made it was made last week at the indoor air quality association's 11th annual meeting uh, it was an announcement an announcement by the restoration industry association that's ria and the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, that's IESO, and they've announced that they are going to have their first cooperative program under a newly signed collaboration agreement, and that program is going to be to create a ANSI-approved uh, standard for fire damage restoration. And it's a, a huge program that uh, the two organizations are very excited about working together on. On May 16th, following approval by its consensus body, IESO published a project initiation notice in what's called Standards Action, a weekly newsletter produced by the American National Standards Institute, and the notice declared IESO's intent to create this standard in cooperation with RIA and other industry stakeholders. IESO is an ANSI-accredited standards development organization that works in close cooperation with IAQA and RIA now and, and other associations as well. RIA's Damage Repair and Restoration Council um, had been considering uh, for some time the value of, of transforming uh, the old NITR guidelines, uh, acronym please get me on that one, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which are uh, guidelines that RIA has on the, has created already, and taking those guidelines and putting them on the table, uh, improving them and, and transforming them into an American national standard through a consensus-based process. That process has now begun. Uh, committees are being formed and work is going to be underway this summer. People who are interested in learning more about this could actually go to cleanfacts.com. Cleanfacts magazine broke this story this morning on their website. Probably has the most information up to date as well. And I know RIA members received a bulletin from uh, from their headquarters and, and 
so forth. So that's a that's a, a big piece of news coming into the industry. Absolutely. So that, now that one was announced at the IAQA annual meeting, which was held uh, last week in Tampa, Florida, and I'd like to cover just a couple news items that came out of that meeting as well. One is the election of new officers for the Indoor Air Quality Association. Uh, Mr. Andrew Osk was elected to the office of president for IAQA. Carl Grimes is our new first vice president at IAQA. And then there's two vice presidents as well. One of them is a fellow named Ian Cole, and the other one is Joe Hughes of IAQ Radio. Radio Joe. <laughs> a celebrity in our presence. Uh, I didn't move there fast enough out of the room. <laughs> uh, Wayne Baker was made the uh, treasurer of the organization, and we also have two new members on our board of directors, Mr. Derek Denay, who's a IAQ investigator from Phoenix, Arizona, and Kent Rawhauser, who is a restorer who right now I think is in the thick of it in the Midwest, uh, helping his friends and neighbors uh, get out from under the water. Okay. Those are my news items for today, guys. All Thank right. you very much. Thank you, Glenn. As always, a pleasure having you on. I know you've got to run, but uh, if you can, we'll, if you're still around, we'll pull you back for the roundup. Cool. All right. Um, All right. Do we have more music for Andy? Andy, we've got have we got you back on the line? Hello, Andy. Yeah, you should be rolling in here any minute. Andy? I'm back. Oh, okay, perfect. great. Good. Do you Good have any time. recommended remedial strategies either for contractors or for homeowners and you know how to deal with flooding damage? Um, yeah, I think you know what you want to look at is to employ very aggressive drying strategies, you know, whether it's the introduction of low grain refrigerants or desiccant dehumidifiers. You need to look at, you know, gutting some materials that may be exposed post-hurricane. You know, we definitely want to make sure that we expose the uh, internal cavities. Uh, we want to remove base moldings. We want to drill holes so that we can get, you know, uh, dehumidification and airflow into uh, important areas to reach. Another thing we uh, certainly want to focus on is removing uh, contaminants from the structure. You know, we can do that by pressure washing. We can do it with cleaners. Good disinfectants are absolutely important. Uh, not a big advocate to bleach, and, you know, that seems to be the common thing that the uh, homeowner may reach for. It is very destructive. It's corrosive. So let's leave the bleach where it needs to go, which is for the laundry. Um, <laughs> Amen. We definitely want yeah, we definitely want to use uh, cleaners and disinfectants to provide a good ongoing bacteriostatic and fungostatic protection, so some residual on the materials that we're treating. Um, I think another thing we need to look at is the clothing and some of the I'm sorry, clothing and textiles that may be affected. You know, a good conservation treatment uh, would be recommended to prevent some fungal attack. Usually these are alcohol-based treatments. Excellent. And what about, let's get a checklist together of, uh, you know, you're, you're headed out to these catastrophic losses. What's, um, what's the most important things to have in the truck or the RV or whatever? I guess an RV well, is one of them, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, no, you, you definitely nailed it there. We saw that firsthand, uh, you know, with Katrina. You need a place to stay. But, uh, you know, if I thought about taking it from the top down, um, I think it starts with, you know, determining uh, whether you stay home or whether you go in there. I guess the question is, have you been invited to the work party down there? Are you going down with work lined up, or are you going down hoping that, you know, this may be your million-dollar payoff? Another thing uh, you should be having in your checklist is uh, your credentials. Be able to uh, have your credentials handy and assemble them in a good presentable format for when you're meeting with uh, potential clients down there. Um, contractual documents with local flavor, you know, make sure you uh, have the ability to um, work lo work closely with the uh, local contractors that are there. Um, Joe, I think you touched upon the RV side. Um, you should definitely consider renting 
or maybe even buying an RV. Uh, you can use it as a mobile or temporary base for your daily operations. It could be your office. You know, it may even end up being lodging for people. Um, another checklist is going to be power consumption. You should be prepared that when going into the area, power most likely will not be available. Uh, generators, uh, portable water, kitchen, showers, I mean, all the comforts that we often take for granted. Um, some other things uh, that should be thought about would be, you know, legal requirements. Um, do you need a contractor license to be performing the work uh, in another state? Very important thing to look at. Um, your insurance, you know, the insurance that you have at home for your liability, is that going to extend to another state? Are you covered when you, you know, move out of your region? I think communication is uh, vital. I can tell you firsthand from experience in uh, New Orleans, you know, if you had T-Mobile or Sprint, uh, those services didn't seem to work real well. Uh, for that event, Verizon was the carrier of choice. You seem to have good communication that way. But you need to look beyond your traditional cell phones. Um, I think you should look at, you know, walkie-talkies and two-way radios, uh, even satellite phones. Um, they can be very important for you. Um, another thing that, you know, we had in a checklist is uh, GPS systems and navigation. Uh, in New Orleans, basically all the street signs were knocked out. So unless you're wanting to read a map, which can be difficult at night uh, at certain times, uh, GPSs work extremely well for al allowing you to kind of get around and, and hit the hot spots of where you're looking to go. Um, lastly, I think in your checklist is you need to be financially, financially prepared to go into that environment. You know, you need to have credit lines established. You need to have available lines on your credit cards, um, gas cards. Um, these are all very, very important things that I would make sure that I have covered in my uh, checklist, MSDS sheets and, you know, all the other standards, of course. Andy, how does suppliers such as John, Don, number one, track these weather events? And then how do you gear up for something that seems like it's going to be a catastrophe? Right. Um, you know, what we do, Cliff, is, you know, like a lot of people, we're certainly staying tuned in with um, radio and TV. Uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, looking at NOAA's website and trying to get an um, understanding of where landfall may hit. Uh, we understand the value of having large inventory doing, you know, during, let me try that again, guys. Uh, we understand the value of having a good inventory during catastrophic events. We also know that, you know, it costs uh, the cost of having a large inventory when there's no demand. I mean, we're in the risk-reward business. You have to have the products to be able to service the masses out there. Um, you know, we continue to purchase through the event. You know, we don't wait for the orders to come in. You know, we're taking a proactive approach to make sure that we have uh, ample inventory available and always forecasting how much more we're going to need uh, to be able to fulfill the pipeline. You know, speaking of all the stuff that you're buying, can John Don, or does John Don, raise its prices when availability is short and demand is high? You know, um, it's a great question, and, and actually we don't. Um, we work off of a tier-level pricing cliff. So, you know, if you're buying a single dehumidifier, you're going to pay what the MSRP is. If you're buying multiple units, you know, you're going to get some tier-level pricing. We don't believe in gouging. Um, we believe it's a great way to establish a long-term relationship with the uh, contractor. Uh, by not taking advantage of the opportunity. Uh, the only time that we would see an increase is in the event that the manufacturer had to pass increases on to us. Mm -hmm. uh, we would pass it on to the end user. But, you know, traditionally we have not seen that in uh, past experiences. And, again, we're not in the business of price gouging. Uh, we want that long-term relationship with the client, and price gouging is not a way to, uh, you know, have a win-win relationship. Andy, for, for contractors that are, you know, not necessarily even going to these sites, but uh, or or they may be either way. What types of equipment and supplies are, are hardest for you to get? So maybe they should have these stocked up a little extra prior to these types of events. You know, cer certainly the big demand with um, hurricane work is going to be your traditional drying equipment, your, uh, your your dehumidifiers, your air movers. You know, they definitely want to consider maybe doing some pre-planning prior to the event. Uh, consider. Um, 
blanket orders so that they can build up their inventory over the years. Um, things that could be difficult, you know, after a major catastrophic event. Air scrubbers seem to be uh, very difficult sometimes to get your hands on. HEPA vacuums, uh, those are going to be the common things. Um, you know, your large equipment, again, can become difficult depending on the size and the scope of the loss. Um, so, again, they need to think about, you know, the, the, the things that are going to transpire after they're in there. If they're doing a gut job, if it's mold-related, do they need to get their antimicrobials, their PPE in place? So, again, consider all those items in advance versus just waiting when you have thousands of other people that are looking all for the same gear at the same time. Are you seeing any shortages right now with the, the flooding going on in the Midwest? Not as of right now. Uh, again, certainly there's a lot of demands that are being put on all of the distribution channels out there and the manufacturing side. We have not experienced any shortages to date uh, where we haven't been able to, f to fulfill the pipeline into the Midwest. I would imagine, though, in the next weeks, things are really going to start to heat up. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, again, we're seeing continued uh, levy breakages, uh, more areas that are, you know, becoming affected. Um, you know, the big concern right now is, you know, how do we respond to this massive flooding that has transpired? And, you know, the big fear, of course, for anybody is what happens if we have a hurricane in the next 30 days? How do we handle the losses in multiple areas? Great point. And I think people don't realize that you know, I don't know that much work can start at this point until the water starts to recede no. a little bit. Is that the case? Yeah, you're absolutely right. What we're seeing in the Midwest right now is uh, we're basically dealing with a waiting game. You know, we have areas that are still three, four, or five feet underwater. We're waiting for certain areas to crest. Um, so there's a lot of preparation that has already taken place. There are people that are in in the the region on location, uh, waiting to go out and and, and do their job and be the professionals that they are and help put people's lives back together. But, you know, of course, Mother Nature uh, has thrown a curveball and, and we're going to have to wait till the waters go down so that, you know, we can do our job and help people out. Andy, can you give some tips for restoration firms, you know, just like general tips or general things to think about? Uh, in regards to in regards to equipment needs, in regards to um, you know, pre-purchasing from you or whatever. Yeah, I, again, I mean, I kind of said it earlier. Uh, my opinion is don't wait to the last minute. You know, again, when you have thousands of people that are out there looking for all the same equipment, uh, it can be challenging. Um, so, again, do your pre-planning. Um, you know, look at the events. Uh, it is risk-reward. I mean, we take on burden like everybody else of having all that product in stock. Contractors need to do the same. Um, don't wait to the last minute, you know, to uh, pick up your supplies. But what if I run out of rental equipment, or what do I do? I'm sorry, if you run out of your existing equipment? Correct. Um, you know, certainly another option would be uh, to have a relationship pre-established with maybe some of the rental firms out there. There is a variety of independent rental companies uh, and national rental companies that, you know, probably could get you equipment uh, in the event of a major catastrophe. I think it's important not to wait to the event, though. There may be a circumstance where you need to utilize those companies. I would be looking at them in March and April and getting pre-approved with them so that if you do need to call upon them, you can get the load you need and you've already established some type of billing cycle or you know, pre-arranged uh, terms with rental companies. They're a valuable resource and somebody you also should have on your speed dial right after your, your distributor. What was the, the first big catastrophic loss that you, I guess, with when you were with John Don, got involved with? Uh, you know, the first one that uh, I was exposed to was um, the first uh, bombing of the World Trade Center. Um, actually, my supervisor, Dave Howard, worked uh, in Tower 2 after the first bombing, and uh, essentially he worked side-by-side -side with the restoration company that was doing the cleanup, uh, moving resources back and forth, chem sponges, all the uh, ancillary equipment and supplies that they needed. So that kind of got uh, catastrophe work on the radar for us, you know, seeing something uh, devastating like that and realizing that there's going to be, you know, more types of events and losses, whether it be Mother Nature driven or, or terrorist uh, driven that, you know, it's, it's an avenue that we feel we can be very um, beneficial in, in being able to help the end user. So, again, 
World Trade Center certainly got our um, uh, our eyes on the radar. And that was the first World Trade Center. Yes, and the what, first World Trade Center bombing. How big of a cleanup was that? I'm not that familiar with that. Uh, there was actually smoke throughout all of Tower 2 and Tower 1. Uh, there was some structural dam- damage, of course, uh, you know, to the parking garage. Uh, if we, if you recall, a bomb went off in the uh, uh, parking garage, sent smoke and uh, debris up throughout the building. So it was a major event in the uh, uh, form of the restoration cleanup that was involved, extensive HEPA vacuuming, smoke and soot throughout the uh, towers. Uh, it was in a very extensive uh job that you know lasted m- many many months that uh, Dave was on uh, site. You know Andy one of the things we're seeing on television is gasoline and gasoline prices have gone up and one of the I, I groups that people blame for these high prices are, are speculators. Is there any speculation going on with equipment you know do these big service spur- firms speculate uh, you know they buying options or futures on you know being able to get restoration equipment and supplies yeah there, there certainly are companies again that are reaching out and looking at you know forecasting and, and being able to somewhat try to shore up what's coming through the pipeline mm-hmm. um, you know whether you're looking at um, franchise groups that uh, have thousands of uh, contractors in there or again your larger conglomerates there is definitely uh, people that are looking to, you know, play the hedge bet and take things in advance. How does your inventory management uh, strategy differ uh, from some of your competitors? Um, you know, I, I can't comment, Cliff, on what my competition is doing. Uh, I'm not sure what their inventory levels are. Uh, I do know that, you know, John Don buys it, we pay for it, and we have it in our inventory. Uh, many competitors don't order the product until they actually get the order from a client. Uh, the problem with that is that there's a lot of lost time involved and higher shipping expenses for their customer. And again, we have always taken the approach to have the product on hand in large quantities, you know, have multiple facilities, 10 across the United States, that uh, we can service the masses. Um, again, everything is risk-reward, Cliff. Um, again, we don't wait till we're out of product to uh, replenish. You know, we're looking at what the demands are out there and making sure that we can uh, – provide our clients with the uh, products and resources they need. So, again, uh, we're well-stocked up for this year's hurricane season, as well as being uh, well-stocked up to handle any of the uh, Midwest needs. I I guess I've got a two-part question. I guess the first part, how do you deal with customer needs after hours? And then how do you handle technical support on all this stuff? Uh, great question. Um, you know, as far as after hours, um, you know, everybody's got a cell phone. John Don's a 24-7 type uh, service these days. You know, our clients know how to get in touch with us. Um, we've built strong uh, relationships with our clients, and we make it happen that uh, they have the ability to reach us 24-7. Um, Cliff, if you'll just uh, recap the second part of your question again, I'm sorry. Okay, the second part was how do you handle the technical support because i guess your phones are ringing off the hook you know what do i do how do i drive what do i need absolutely um you know as far as technical support uh we have a very versed um staff here at john don um we do a lot of staff training we fix most uh uh actually let me go back on that uh, for the tech support, again, we have a lot of staff on training. We actually employ three full-time restoration reps, and that main responsibility is truly um, understanding, breathing, sleeping, everything pertaining to the restoration industry. So, um, you know, having a big staff allows us to be able to handle the technical support as it comes in. Again, technical support often does go beyond the traditional um, eight to five. You know, we will get calls after hours of people inquiring about technical support. Uh, There is also additional resources that we have on our web that if you need uh, technical support, you can look at John Don's website and be able to uh, have some answers uh, at a moment's notice. Andy, what types of um, lessons are learned from Hurricane Katrina that, you know, we can carry over to any well, what's happening now in the Midwest, and then any possible hurricanes coming down the road? Um, you know, again, I think with Katrina, one of the major uh, situations was there was not a lot of flood coverage down there. Um, there, you know, was a lot of people that just basically vacated their homes. You know, some of the things that I think we can prepare for is just that, the preparedness. You know, going in there, being able to make sure that you're working with um, – 
locals in the area that have a flavor that you know already have um, contracts in place. Um, I think again, you know, going back and making sure that you know that your bill is going to be paid and who's paying your bill is going to be so crucial. Uh, we hear the horror stories time and time again from uh, people in New Orleans that uh, you know did large contract work and they still haven't been paid uh, at this point. So again, key, key things is who is paying your bill, um, understanding that as you go in, and uh, again, trying to uh, you know look at some of maybe the commercial work um, if you can get your hands on that. If it's the residential side, you know, again, uh, uh, trying to make sure that you can get um, maybe a credit card payment and, and make sure your bill is going to be paid before the work starts. What about with with respect to specific you know techniques like you know fungal growth? Uh, what types of materials hold more water? What types of cleaning work best? Uh, drying work best? Things like that. Um, you know, I think uh, as far as the materials, again, with uh, Katrina, a lot of it was uh, materials that were going to have to be vacated from the uh, property. You know, your porous items, your drywall, your carpet, and your padding, all that was going to have to be removed. Um, we're definitely going to need to make sure that, you know, we have um, proper decontamination techniques, uh, antimicrobials uh, applied to the materials, proper drying uh, to ensure that... Uh, you know, we've we've got the uh, the building under control. Um, you know, again, definitely looking at the structure itself and uh, trying to uh, get it under control and remediate the materials that uh, will need to come out. Um, Andy, what about? Can you summarize any? You know, perhaps recommendations building on what Joe had said. Can you summarize? You know, recommendations. You know, from the industry, such as from the Restoration Industry Association. You know, possibly from other sources. Sure. Um, you know, from the restoration industry, um, some of the things that we've learned from, like, the restoration industry, you know, pertaining to these environments, uh, fungal growth uh, prefers clean water. Uh, OSB materials holds a lot much more water than, say, plywood. Uh, we talked about bleach earlier, that mm-hmm. it's destructive to the building materials cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think under, you know, given circumstances, high temperature and high relative humidity and heat may be the most effective uh, method to dry the structural materials. Mm-hmm. Um, contamination, we often will see deep contamination, uh, and that requires real deep cleaning, Cliff. Uh, what went in with water usually can also come out of the building materials with water. Uh, we need to respond. Uh, insurance companies may be very slow to respond. We want to document. We want photos. We want videos. We want to make sure that we have moisture mapping. Um, you know, we want to look at the electrical material. Plastic-coated electrical wiring is, is likely salvageable, but, you know, we want to cut it back and make sure that, uh, you know, it, 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 there's no corrosion to it. All right. Let's uh, stop for one second here. I just want to make sure we thank our sponsors one more time. Then we've got a big announcement for next week's show, and also we want to finish up with a couple questions for Andy. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. All right, next week we've got an interesting guest, Dr. Alan P. Zelikoff, MD. And we're going to, he's the author of Microbes Are We Ready for the Next Plague? That, that should be interesting, Cliff. Looking forward to that. But before we uh, wrap up, we've got two final questions for you, Andy. Anything that um, we missed that you'd like to add or anything that, uh, you know, we didn't get to? You know, just again, in preparation for this year's season, don't wait to the last minute, guys. Um, you know, again, there's resources that are available right now. We have a lot of uh, activity that's happening through the Midwest. Um, you know, again, if we land a hurricane or two in the next uh, two months, it could completely change the scope up of our industry, what's available. Um, like anything, you know, with what's happening in the Midwest, we have the opportunity to be the knight in shining armor. Our industry is under, um, you know, isn't it? We're, we're, we're very exposed right now, our industry, uh, to what it is that we can do. We have, a, again, prime opportunity to show the world what our industry's efforts can bring. 
and uh, let's just uh, rise to the occasion and, and do the best possible job we can to restore the Midwest and any future catastrophic events that uh, are presented to us. Okay. What's the... Um What's the outlook for the hurricane season this year? I really haven't paid attention to that. Is it Actually, it's funny you say that. I just uh, looked at a report this morning, and uh, it is now calling for uh, nine major hurricanes. So the report has uh, gone up. Wow. We're just getting started here with yeah, the flood. Absolutely. Higher than, higher than average, they said this year. Well, before we yep. go, Andy, let's uh, let our listeners know how they can contact you if they want to uh, touch base. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I am available uh, at one 800 556-6366 with a direct extension of 1048. I can also be reached via email at Andy, A-N-D-Y, at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. Well, thanks so much to uh, this week's guest, Andy Robinson, for joining us from John Don. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, the Wingman, Chris Boizel, uh, it doesn't look like our technical director made it back. Maybe he stopped for happy hour somewhere. Uh, Dr. Dietrich Wow, but he's always a great guy to have. We'll have him back next week. Most importantly, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Thank you.